Hey, why don't you wash your hands? Seems like a relevant question today, doesn't it? It's also a question that the Pharisees asked Jesus. We read about it in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. We're going to go to back to the Gospel of Mark this week because we're going to bring some normalcy back to the church services. That's the book we were going through before all of this happened, so we will return to it this week. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, 
malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. The word of the Lord. The Pharisees asked, why don't your disciples wash their hands before eating? This wasn't a hygiene issue because they did not use soap, which they had, but rather it was a ceremonial washing where they had to wash their hands in a particular way for the purpose of ritual purity. The Pharisees did not want to mistakenly touch something that was unclean and pollute themselves, and so they created a law or a tradition where they had to wash their hands in a particular way. This law was not in the Old Testament law, but it was something they did as part of their religious observance. When Jesus' disciples did not observe this tradition, they asked Jesus about it. The Pharisees, in evaluating Jesus and in assessing Jesus, did not look at his miracles. They did not consider his teachings. Rather, they judged everything through their lens of their religious idea of things. He was judged by his conformity to doing what they thought was right. They were saying to Jesus and his disciples, why don't you do things like us? Why don't you do things our way? Jesus' answer to them will identify a problem within religion. He will teach us about how to honor our father and mother and he will teach us about what really makes us unclean. First, Jesus takes on religion. If religion has only to do with tradition or form or rigid belief systems without a heart for God and others, Jesus said, and he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So Jesus quoted Isaiah. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now the Pharisees, they recited all the prayers in a Jewish prayer book. They would say, we believe everything written in the scriptures. But their hearts were far from God. Is that true of us sometimes? Where we go to worship and practice the form of worship 
and even believe all the right stuff, but our hearts are far from him. Our hearts do not love him. They do not praise him. They do not trust him, and they do not obey him. Jesus also said, they worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. God judges our worship, not by the the forms we bring to worship, but by our, our love, our love for him expressed in our praise and thanksgiving, and our faith in him based on our trust and obedience to his word. The religious people attacked Jesus because he did not wash his hands before he ate. Jesus attacked their religion. If their religion and tradition and outward forms were more important than love for God or others. The Pharisees attacking Jesus would be like someone attacking me because I did not close my eyes or bow my head when I prayed. By the way, that's a tradition of man. You won't find that in Scripture. Or it'd be like someone attacking me because I wore a robe or because I did not wear a robe. That would be like someone saying to a first-time person, a visitor visiting our sanctuary the first time, why did you bring coffee into the sanctuary? That's not reverent. You see, sometimes we allow tradition and the way things have been to interfere with love. Jesus attacked religion. If religion, tradition, and outward forms were more important than love for God or love for others. Here's the point. Always be careful to distinguish between tradition and outward form and the clear teachings of Scripture. Now, tradition is not bad. I think there's lots of good that comes from tradition. But the greater law is to love God, to be enthralled with him, rather than being upset because some tradition was not followed. The greater law is to love God and to love others. To be otherwise is to be a Pharisee. Today's pandemic is a case in point. We have had to abandon what is normal and tradition in order to bring you a service during these times. Notice I'm not wearing a robe. It's because I'm preaching to a a broader audience now. There's no choir in the choir loft. We can't have them close to each other singing. And some of you are probably drinking coffee 
during this worship service. And some of you might even still be in your pajamas. And yet, we are doing what is most important. This present crisis has caused the church to focus on that which is most important. We're focusing on worshiping God, on bringing you God's word, and discipling you in God's word, in caring for our flock, and in challenging you to love and witness to your neighbors. Forms and methods have been modified according to our circumstances. And yet, we do what is most important, what is commanded in the Scripture. This present crisis should be teaching all of us what is most important. As an example of how the Pharisees ignored God's law and used tradition to do that, Jesus brings up the law of Korban and how the Pharisees used this law to neglect the care of their parents. In Leviticus chapter, seven, chapter 27, God says that you may dedicate or give a field or a plot of land um, as a gift to the Lord. And so how it worked was, um, let's say you were blessed and you were grateful to the Lord, and so you said, I'm going to dedicate this piece of land and gift it to the temple. And so it would be used for the temple and for the priests and for their charitable ministries. The Old Testament law allowed for that. Tradition modified it a bit. They said, well, you can dedicate a piece of land or a farm to the temple for a period of time. And so you would be blessed, you'd be grateful, you'd dedicate the proceeds of your, of your farm to the Lord for a year or two years or however long that was. And that was still within the intent of the law. A gift still goes to the Lord, but you retained ownership of the farm. But here's how the Pharisees distorted it. Let's say your parents are old and they cannot produce an income anymore. There's no such thing as social security in those days or pensions, and so your parents come to the end of their savings, and the Old Testament law, God's law, says honor your father and mother, and that includes caring for them. And so your parents come to you and say, you know, we can't work any longer, our, our savings are gone, can you sell the family farm in order to provide for us? But here's what the Pharisees would do. When their parents were getting advanced in age, they would dedicate the farm or the field to the temple for a period of time. Ten years, five years, two years, however long they thought their parents would live. 
And then if their parents came to them and said, hey, can you sell that field so that we can have some money to live off of? The Pharisees would say, well, that field is Corban. It's dedicated to the Lord. We can't use it. It belongs to God. So no, we can't help you. They did this because they valued their wealth more than their parents. Jesus is saying, you break the commandments of God and you use tradition to do it. In other words, you use the letter of the law. You use legal loopholes so that you get out of following the spirit of the law. The law is summed up by love. When we use tradition to act unlovingly towards people or to drive them away from Christ, then we have acted contrary to the will of God. It works the other way as well. If we appeal to tradition to lead us into sin, then we also violate the will of God. Jesus used the example of how they used tradition to not honor their father and mother. And um, this gives me an opportunity to comment a bit on what it means to honor our parents. If you are uh, a child and you're still living in your parents' home, then the commandment is honor thy father and mother, and then the New Testament expands on it and says that you have to obey your parents. So if your parents tell you to do something, do it. If you want to go out and socialize with your friends during the stay-at-home order, and your parents say, no, stay at home, don't roll your eyes, don't argue, obey them. This is how we honor them. If you are an adult, and your parents are getting along in years, then honoring our father and mother means that we take care of them. It does not mean you have to have them live in your home, but it means that you're going to make sure that they are cared for. If that means financial support, then it's financial support. If that means you have to look in on them, then you look in on them. If that means you have to hire care so that they are cared for, then you have to do that. This is how we honor our father and mother. My dad died about a year ago. And this commandment was in my head as I was contemplating how often do I go to Arizona to visit him in his last days. This commandment was in my head as I did his taxes, as I uh, looked after his business concerns, as I still look after my stepmom. Nancy's parents live here in Wichita. That requires of us nearly daily care. But this is how we honor our father and mother. And at the end of our days, we need to be able to say to ourselves, I honored mom and dad. 
After Jesus accused the Pharisees of being hypocrites because they insisted on ritual purity or cleanliness while ignoring the weightier requirements of the law, which is love, he told them what it truly means to be clean. See, the Pharisees distinguished between clean and unclean foods, or between clean stuff and unclean stuff. This is why they would wash their hands, because they never quite knew what they might have touched in the marketplace. I accepted an invitation once to dine at the home of an Orthodox Jewish family. They had three sets of dishes. One was for dairy, one was for meat, and they never ate dairy and meat at the same meal. In fact, they could not put those two together on a same plate ever. And they had a third set of dishes for Gentiles. That's the dish that I ate from. You see, if a Gentile eats from a plate, it makes it unclean, even after you wash it. And their concern here was not germs, but it was ritual purity. And so Jesus is going to give them a new idea of what it means to be truly clean. Jesus says it's not food that makes you unclean because food goes into your stomach and it goes out your body. No, that's not what makes you unclean. What makes you unclean is the sin that forms in your heart. And Jesus lists some sins as an examples. It's not an exhaustive list. I'm sure we could think of sins that we could add to the list. But he has sins that you can see and sins you can't see. So there's sins that you could actually see if you committed them. Sexual immorality, theft, slander, murder, adultery. And there were sins you could not see. They were just within one's head, like evil thoughts or greed or malice, or deceit, or lewdness, or envy, or arrogance, or folly. I thought folly was an interesting sin to list. Folly is the opposite of wisdom. In the wisdom literature, there's the wise person who does wise things, and there's a fool who practices folly. Wisdom speaks to every part of life, relationships, money, relationships between men and women, uh, self-discipline, work ethic. Here Jesus is calling folly comes from an unclean heart. Jesus wants us to be clean, but he wants our hearts to be clean because evil thoughts and evil actions flow from a heart that is not led by him. God has made us his children. He has willed that we be holy and good and righteous and kind like he is. And this is 
why he commands us to worship him so that we will esteem him. And why we repent so we can turn from our self-centered and evil ways and actually bring our hearts in alignment with uh, the love and the will of Jesus. As As I have prayed through this national crisis, part of my prayer life has been, Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing in this? And one of the two words that come to me, one is shaking, but the other is cleansing. Let me explain. God did not create this crisis or cause this crisis, but he superintends it. It means that God uses everything for his purposes and his glory. Now, someone might say, well, could not God have prevented it? Well, does God prevent you from foolishness or sin? This virus was a natural thing. It came out of a naturally fallen world. But it spread because of arrogance and deceit and folly. Now the world is reaping the consequences of sin. But God superintends it to serve his purposes. And I believe one of those purposes is cleansing. To cleanse us of our idols, our greed, our busyness, our lack of love, our neglect of worship, and whatever else in our hearts makes us unclean. He sees our hearts. Let's look at our hearts as well. And then line them up with his so that we might be truly clean. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, to whom all hearts are known, And no heart is hid. We stand before you. And we allow you to look at our hearts. We listen to your spirit. Telling us where we need to repent. Lord, we want to line up our will with yours. So Lord, we listen to you as we examine our hearts. I pray, Lord, that this time of crisis would not be in vain but that it would serve your purposes in our lives, our families, the church, the nation. We pray, Lord, that you would use it to make us more compassionate, more holy, 
more wise. Use this for your glory and for your good. I pray for those listening to, today, to today's message that you would speak to them. I pray for everyone I shepherd, that you would protect them, that you would protect their families, that the plague would not come near them. I pray, Lord, that you would sustain us with everything we need through this time. We will count on you to provide for us what is needful. And we pray that we will rest in your provision and in your promises and not be overcome by fear and worry. But Lord, we pray that you would give us a supernatural peace that comes to us through the Spirit of Christ whom indwells us. We pray all this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.